The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Thanks for joining another episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, with us on this episode is a familiar face and a familiar voice uh, going back to the Tim Graham radio show days, first introduced to this man uh, through his uh, work at uh, Fabe Soul High at the Walden Galleria, which turned into a phenomenon and helped feed uh, an NFL phenomenon of My Cause, My Cleats. And that is Polo Kerber who is, um, well, let's just say Polo's gone down the road of, uh, in his professional uh, career. And uh, we're going to get caught up with him because he is now on what I think is a new frontier in sports marketing uh, that deals a lot with the name image likeness uh, developments that have been so big lately. Polo, thanks for joining us and for, uh, for talking to us about uh, – a thing that's kind of new for everybody because we don't think about it much, but here you are at your business. Thank you for having me, Tim, first of all, and, and Jonah. Um, you know, I think for me, it's, it is new, you know, and, and for, you know, not just for a lot of the collegiate athletes, just, you know, for us on the marketing side, um, I've had a few years now to, um, you know, really gain a lot of knowledge and experience, but this is, this is brand new. Um, and, you know, from the recruiting of the kids to the process of how everything works, it'll definitely be a little bit of a, a learning curve. Polo Kerber has gone quite a ways since Fabe So High. The man uh, just a couple of months ago had a press release uh, sent out about his him joining a company, which is pretty cool. Uh, maybe I am aspire to have a press release about me someday uh, that that people would care enough about what I'm up to or my business. But this, you had a press release. Playmaker, you joined Playmaker as the uh, head of talent and partnerships, and uh, Playmaker is—it's um, a program. It's a or Playmaker has a program within it uh, for athletes to help them monetize their content, likeness, uh, doing shows, brand deals, music, merchandise. Um, what is your role as head of talent and partnerships there? What what did? Uh, uh, what, what did you bring to Playmaker that they were excited about? Right. So I, I think the main thing that I brought was was athletes. Um, you know, Playmaker, uh, before I, I came aboard, was really just a media company um, that really just followed current sports stories, almost similar to, you know, SportsCenter, Bleacher Report, or, you know, Barstool. So if you almost think of it like that, and then if they started uh, representing athletes um, personally, uh, that's really, uh, you know, what, what Playmaker did in, in bringing me on board. Um, so I brought a lot of guys that, you know, I have relationships with, um, you know, and, and we signed them. And, um, 
my pretty much day-to-day role is just to help everybody with everything off of uh, the field or, or off of the court. So um, any kind of endorsement deals, branding opportunities, community efforts, um, you know, like you said, content, media, merchandise, um, you know, pretty much everything that, a, that an athlete does outside of contract negotiations, I do. Polo, can you tell us a little bit about how you got from here to there? And I know some of your marketing efforts started in Buffalo with Buffalo athletes or, you know, West New York native. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, a thousand percent um, started really with, um, you know, where where Tim kind of met us at, um, you know, with with the store and a little bit before that, before we had this store in the mall, that's really where a lot of the relationships came from. Um, I, I think, you know, it really got catapulted from LaShawn McCoy, uh, when he was in Buffalo and just really allowing us to do a lot of things at our store. Um, we did a, a few autograph signings with him at the store. I want to say maybe two or three, um, that he was really, you know, satisfied with. And, you know, he did a lot to introduce us to other teammates that he had on the bills. He did a lot to introduce us to, um, you know, other friends that he had around the NFL, um, you know, and, and for us, it was, it really started off of, of making cleats for the guys um, and, and just having relationships with them from there, just forming friendships and just in talking to the guys and, you know, really learning what they want and, you know, what they're looking for, what they're not getting. Um, I, I saw, uh, you know, a way that I could kind of fit myself in there. Um, and when you're doing cleats, it, it's great, but you're, you're also asking the player uh, for money for a service um, compared to what I'm doing. It's, you know, we're, we're helping them to make money and expand and everybody loves, you know, making more money. So you get a, a little bit more that you can offer to the guys as long as you're doing your job correctly. Um, so, you know, that just opened up like a, a floodgate of, of things once we started uh, bringing some opportunities to, to some guys. And, you know, now it is where it is now. And some of Polo's uh, clients, uh, a short version of his client list, or at least back in February when Playmaker sent out the press release that you were joining the team, uh, Nate Robinson, uh, Mario Chalmers, Carlos Boozer, J.C. Jackson, who I think is one of the more underrated defensive backs in the entire NFL, by the way. The guy had nine interceptions last year and didn't make the Pro Bowl somehow. I don't know how that works. but uh, And he was really good before that. Uh, anyways, uh, he, he maybe he's on the verge of finally breaking out. Um, for sure. But, um, any other development? You forgot Xavier Howard. He had 10 interceptions. Yeah, that's right. Xavier Howard. Yeah. He's, he's all right too, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, for sure. And, um, who else have you added or what, what are the, I don't want to get too far ahead because I know you're constantly negotiating and especially with, like you say, uh, the floodgates opening up with uh, name, image, likeness stuff at the NCAA, maybe there's probably some things you can't talk about. Every, a lot of things are under in the works, I would, I would hope anyway. Uh, but what yeah. can you tell us about what's happened since you joined Playmaker and maybe some of your, your bigger conquests? Right. So um, I think since we joined it, it's really um, be, been able to expand my bandwidth, um, you know, and, and the amount of people that um, we can really add on and, and service. Um, Debo Samuel from the 49ers is a really uh, good young talent um, that, that we started working with after um, I came aboard. Um, and we also have Desmond Bain from the Memphis Grizzlies 
um, you know, to kind of add uh, some active NBA guys for us. A lot of the NBA guys that I had before were, um, you know, guys that were just retired or in the big three. Um, so Desmond Bain is, is really good. And, and he was second team uh, all rookie this year and, and had a really good year. So that we've been excited about that. Um, I, I think the main thing for us since I've come aboard is because we have such a large following, it really allows us to, um, you know, just push some of those stories out there. Um, you know, we've done a lot with, with, uh, with Xavier and, you know, kind of stirring, stirring up the pot, if you will, of, you know, is he the best cornerback in, in the NFL? Um, and just really kind of like getting some of those stories out there. So it's coming from us and, you know, not the players directly. Um, and, and I think we've been doing a, a good job at that. And then, you know, now with this NIL, there's, there's a ton of, of kids. We've almost, uh, you know, tripled the amount of, of, of athletes that we work with in, you know, six or seven days. Um, and, and there's a lot of contracts that are, you know, out right now and going through the, the NCAA compliance. So that number will continue to grow. Um, so for us, it's really just making sure that, you know, we can manage everybody that we're, we're bringing on and not really, you know, giving ourselves uh, too big of a, of a bite that we can't handle. Can you fill us in on your boxing experience? Uh, because that to me is pretty fascinating. Uh, as uh, Nate Robinson's uh, representative, he obviously uh, had the, the high profile fight against Jake Paul on the yes, uh, undercard of uh, that was Tyson Roy Jones, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So I guess maybe tell us about that experience if you could, and then, and then maybe we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of this phenomenon of not only celebrity boxing, but exhibition boxing um that is people are into uh, and it's pretty good for the athlete because there's not nearly as much risk um as an official fight and it allows you to cut through a lot of the the red tape of uh sanctioning bodies and things like that the government um and you can put on a show as an exhibition and not as an official fight and it seems like fans are still willing to to buy into it that doesn't have to be an official fight. Right. So I think, I think for us, um, I'll kind of give you a little bit of a backstory on how the fight even happened. And then, you know, pretty much the process. So it, it goes into a celebrity softball game I did in Cleveland in 2019 with Jarvis Landry um, and Jake Paul and Logan Paul are actually from Cleveland. Um, so we had them play in that celebrity softball game. And, um, you know, really just formed a relationship with, with Jake and Logan there. Um, they had their first boxing match uh, later that year, early 2020, uh, for the Super Bowl. Um, and then I threw it out there to Nate, like, you know, hey, there's a lot of celebrities that are, that are boxing. It's an easy way to, you know, make a good amount of, of money. Um, it's definitely going to take a lot of work because with Nate, Nate and Jake's fight, it, it was a professional fight. It, it wasn't an exhibition one. So with Nate, it was, it was a little bit, uh, you know, more work that, that he had to do. And you got all these tests and, you know, cutting weight and gaining weight and, you know, all these things. So it, it was a pretty big process, but Nate was open to it. Um, so we, we kind of went back and forth with Jake and, and really what we wanted to do originally was, you know, have Jake fight a few fights have Nate fight a few fights, really set it up for, you know, both of them to kind of win those first few fights and, you know, give them opponents that weren't too hard, you know, to be. Um, and then hopefully they win those matches. And then, you know, you have this, this mega fight 
almost of, of Nate versus Jake. Um, and then COVID of course kind of happened and, you know, it really uh, canceled a lot of things that we were really able to do and, um, you know, slowed things down. Um, we got approached uh, by Jake's manager and, and said, you know, Hey, let's just do this right now. You know, so it's, it's Nate's first fight. It's Jake's, uh, I think it was Jake's second uh, pro fight. Um, but the reason that we wanted to get on it was, you know, as you said, it was, it was Tyson versus Roy Jones. Like you can't get, you know, a bigger, bigger name as a co-main event than, you know, Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. Especially if you're, if it's your, you know, first and second uh, professional fight. So that was something that, you know, we really wanted to be a part of. So, you know, we made it happen. Um, I think that, you know, as far as the, the pay-per-view sales and, you know, how many people actually tuned in, it, there were a ton. Um, and it was definitely something I was excited to be a part of. Um, of course, the the outcome wasn't what we wanted, but um, you know, when you like you said, you get into those pro fights, it's tough because that's something I've also never really experienced either. Where, you know, the 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 fight weight was one eighty eight, um, and Jake Paul naturally walks around around two hundred pounds, um, but Nate usually walks around like one seventy five. Um, so Nate actually had to you know bulk up a lot, and Jake had to cut down. So I think the the day of the fight, Nate Nate maybe was drunk a lot of water, got up to 181. And then Jake, Jake slimmed down and got down to 188 right on the, right on the line. But then the actual night of the fight, Nate went back down to 175 ish and Jake was 200 pounds. Um, that's, that's not how you want to do it. Exactly. You don't you want know? to be drinking water to gain weight. <laughs> right. Right. So you got a, you got about a 25 pound difference and you know, Jake's already, uh, you know, two, three, two, three inches longer for us though. In, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of look back at, on in a retrospect and say, okay, cool. We should have done this. We should have done that. But we were really going off of Jake's first boxing match that he had. And it wasn't good. Like it didn't look impressive, but you know, he was also training for a long time. So, you know, I think for Nate, even when, when he got in the ring, it was like, Oh, this is Jake Paul. Like, you know, I'm just going to kind of go out there. and You know, I don't care what, what my coaches are saying. I don't care. You know uh, what I was trained. I think it was just more of, um, you know, going into the, the sparring and things like that, that he had, um, and you know, just being excited, you know, as well. So I think that, you know, if we could kind of go back and, you know, just slow the fight down, pace it out, it would be a lot better because he did train a lot, you know, and he fought a lot bigger people um, when he sparred. But, you know, I, I think it was really just, uh, you know, a combination of being excited and um, not really knowing what to expect. You know, the last time we had Polo on the radio, he was nice enough to invite both of us to that charity softball game in Cleveland and we didn't go for whatever yeah. reason. We, we could have got in on the ground floor of all this. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely could have got in on the ground floor. And then uh, he did it again. We didn't do it 2020 because of uh, COVID. Um, but I just did it again this year and it was a great event. Baker Mayfield played in it. Odell Beckham played in it. Uh, Travis Kelsey. So there's a lot of, a lot of good, uh, good names from Cleveland that were there. We weren't invited to that one. Well, it's because we snubbed you the first time. Yeah, it's because you snubbed me the first. We were time. off the list. I'll I'll invite you now for uh for twenty two. Please, yes sir. Please, I want to make a point to mention if people are listening to this and think, well, of course this is some joke, some janky boxing promotion exhibit. They got one guy going from two hundred to one eighty eight, one guy going from one seventy five, and then there's a big weight difference. I mean, come on, that's not real boxing. I'm here to tell you. That is real boxing. That happens all the time. What is Floyd? Floyd weighs 
a lot less than Logan Paul, right? You, yeah, you watch yeah. a boxing match all the and especially if it's a really good broadcast like HBO used to have. They would have the in-ring weights, and it was staggering because these guys cut weight so much they starve themselves. Yeah. They dehydrate themselves, and then they have 24 hours to eat whatever they want. They can load up on the pasta and the carbs and whatever, have steaks and do whatever. They get, they're guzzling water, and they come into the ring sometimes 30 pounds heavier than they weighed in. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem humanly possible, but it is. And then you have these mismatches because some guys are a natural lightweight. Some guy is a middleweight coming down to lightweight. So anyway, I just want to make it a point to mention if you're a casual you know, boxing fan and don't really follow it. And you're listening to what Polo described and thinking how outrageous that is. No, that that's real, bo real boxing does that. This it's wasn't, crazy. this wasn't, uh, this wasn't because it was on the undercard of a Tyson Jones exhibition. Right. Yeah. Even, even to see, you know, the, the some of the people um, behind the scenes that are like, you know, just Nate, go, go up in your room, just lock yourself in your room, take the scale up there drink gallons and gallons of water and, and don't pee until after the weigh-in, you know, and, and that, that'll make the difference. So it's crazy to even see, you know, the, the, the type of things that they do to get, you know, just that weight the day before. And then the next day, it doesn't matter what you come in the ring at. Um, and, you know, so that, that was uh, just an interesting process, you know, and to really see you know, how everything behind the scenes of, of boxing does work. What do you think the future of these uh, boxing matches uh, will be? Um, we see, obviously, Floyd Mayweather had a successful bout himself that was an exhibition. It doesn't go against his, his undefeated record. Right. Uh, so his, his, his 50 and 0 uh, will be preserved as long as he does exhibitions. Right. Uh, and he obviously made a good chunk of change in his most recent fight, and he's willing to do it again. He says, I'm not coming back. Right. Uh, because why would he, why would he risk his undefeated record and his legacy? And he can go out and just make this easy money. Um, I mean, fans are willing to pay for it. Um, anyways. And there are so many guys out there that I, Oscar De La Hoya now talking about fighting. He's what he's gotta be 50. I, I used to know how old he was, but he's gotta be in maybe early fifties. Um, he was a 96 Olympian, I think maybe even a 92 Olympian. I think he was a 92 Olympian and, um, and he's he wants to fight again. Right. So I, what, where do you see this going? I, I think it really just depends on um, the type of fights that are, are being put together. Um, I think, you know, Floyd Mayweather, he's going to sell regardless. And I, you know, I think the, the Mike Tyson's versus the Roy Jones, those are going to sell. Um, I, I think that you'll start, you know, and you already have started to see almost a decline in, uh, you know, some of the ones that are more gimmicky, um, the YouTube versus TikTok uh, boxing matches that they did, didn't really sell uh, what they thought it would sell. Um, I personally wasn't really a big fan of Lamar Odom versus Aaron Carter. Um, and then, you know, even when you look at like the barstool, like the, the Jose Canseco uh, boxing match that they did, like, you know, stuff like that is more gimmicky. And, and I don't think, you know, the traditional boxing fans. So I think that there's uh, two things that really, um, you know, sell a, a boxing pay-per-view. And I think, you know, the, the first thing is that that's the most important is, you know, will a casual fan pay for this? If you have Mike Tyson versus, you know, Roy Jones, any, any hardcore boxing fan is going to tune in and, and watch that. Evander Holyfield, there's been, they've been flirting with that idea. People will watch that. 
exactly. But, but, you know, the hardcore fans, those are the ones that are going to tune into, you know, ESPN and watch a, you know, top rank on, you know, a Friday night or those kind of things. So what, what really is going to sell the pay-per-view for you is, you know, those casual fans, um, you know, that like Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul. And then you really use Mike Tyson and Roy Jones to sell the hardcore fans. So I think you need like a good co-main and a, a good main event, um, you know, that kind of, bridges both fans together I think if people continue to do that um, you know then, then it'll it'll be successful um, and then I also think that you know as you're creating the success for somebody like a Jake Paul now you have people that are just buying the pay-per-view because they want to see him get knocked out and, and they're hoping to see him lose and you know if he if he keeps winning then they're just going to sell more and more fights. Why do you think Jake and Logan Paul have been able to catch on so much and capture the public attention. And I do wonder if there's some overlap with name image likeness and how athletes can brand themselves as people and personality as much as athletic performers. That's all it is, man. It's, it's just branding. They do a really, really good job at branding. Um, Jake's actually like a really cool guy. Um, you know, I saw when we were in the, uh, in the hotel um, and there was nobody around. I, and he didn't even know I was there there was a security guy for the elevator that was, uh, he asked Jake for a picture and it was just Jake and the security guy. And I was kind of like going to my room and, um, and you know, the guy took his picture out and Jake's like, bro, what kind of phone is this? It's like, you know, it's, it's 2021, you know? And uh, the guy's like, I, I just don't have, have money for a better phone. And, and Jake gave him a, a couple thousand dollars and said, you know, here, go get yourself a phone. And, you know, hopefully that helps you out a lot. And that was just something he genuinely did. There was no cameras around. There was no, nobody else saw it. it was, you know, I don't think anybody else knows that story now outside of, you know, me telling you guys. So he's genuinely a good person, but he does a great job at getting people to hate him. Um, it's almost like, you know, wrestling. And, you know, I know Tim and Timmy, you're, you're great wrestling fans. It's, you know, if you can, if you can create yourself as a heel and make yourself hated, um, you know, people just want to see you lose. And, and he does a great job at making himself a heel, um, you know, and it, it's literally just a persona when the cameras aren't on, he, he's not like that. Um, you know, and I think that's what makes it so interesting that he does and Logan does that not a lot of other people can do um, is they don't care what people think about them. You know, a lot of people are so worried about, you know, what people think and things like that. They don't care. Like if they're, if they're getting paid and people are tuning in, then, you know, who cares what people think? Um, and they do a really good job at that. Um, and they also do a lot of like clickbaity things, um, you know, which, which I think, you know, even the gotcha hat when he, you know, he stole um, Floyd Mayweather's hat at, at the weigh-in. I'm pretty sure there's millions of people that had no idea Floyd Mayweather was fighting Logan Paul. And now because of an incident like this, you know, now people know, um, you know, he does a really good job at getting under people's skin um, and just kind of creating those headlines. It's a lot like sports talk radio and even podcasting in some ways, if you can make people feel some sort of an emotion about what you're doing and what you're saying, you got their attention hooked, whether they like you or not. A thousand percent. Exactly. Yeah, and so you have a good chunk of the people tuning in to see you get your ass beat. Exactly. And their money is worth just as much as the people who are tuning in because they love you. Right. And so what difference does it make? But I think it – and maybe, Paul, you can speak to this. As someone who's been around athletes, um, you know, I'm around athletes to a certain extent. And, yeah, I get to have uh, discussions with them off the record sometimes, you know, even in their homes or in private, you know, at a bar and in kind of, you know, moments that are away from work. 
but even to admit some, um, some of your motivations sometimes, it's, it's difficult for an athlete to do. And I, I'm setting the question up this way. What do you think it takes in an athlete to be able to turn off that part of your brain because you do want people to care? It's a natural human instinct to want to be liked, I think. Um, right. But I think when it comes to being a pro wrestler, whether you're, you know, whether you're the Pauls, whether you're somebody like, you know, Muhammad Ali used to do it um, because he learned how to be his persona came from Gorgeous George a lot. Uh, so that was a pro wrestling thing. But actors, uh, sports, sports talk radio, you know, like people who, as Jonah just said, I'm going to just be the a-hole here. Um, have you ever been as being around these guys, do you ever, is there a common denominator or how it takes to get over that idea that I want to be liked to say, I don't care if I'm liked. I just want to be a good businessman. I want to have a, this is good for my career. Right. I think of, of course, like you said, it is, it is a natural human thing, you know, to, to want to be liked. I think though that if you're going in it and looking at it from me being disliked, will generate me more attention, more dollars, more pay-per-view buys, then who cares, you know? Um, and I, I, even, even with people like Jalen Ramsey, I talk to Xavier about that all the time because he's a top, you know, we feel like he's a top corner. He's in a holdout right now. Um, but he doesn't say anything, you know, like he just kind of keeps to himself. He doesn't really want to be that guy that stirs the pot. Even the holdout was very hard for him to, you know, bring himself to do. Um, so I, I think it, it, it really also depends on. And I think team sports, team sports are different because you can, you can damage the locker room. If you go out too far on a limb, you can damage the locker room. Whereas if you're an individual sport, you can, it's all, you're the only one who's risking yourself. You can play the part. Um, you know well, I have, a, I have a point. Of, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that, especially in football. However, I think there's a lot of athletes that aren't doing this intentionally, but have made themselves bigger stars through negative press. I'd say Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are great basketball players, but I think they've become more famous and more in the conversation for some things they've done and said that people don't like. It just makes them right. bigger celebrities and bigger personalities that, and now people root against them. Right. That's more what I was saying is it really just depends on, you know, your, what you're comfortable with doing it and how you want to go out there and, and showcase yourself some guys like x just he doesn't really want to say because I, I told him we had an opportunity to go on uh on skip and shannon and he's like you yeah, that'd be really great like you know skip and shannon could be big but i know they're gonna ask me about the contract and i don't want to talk about it compared to you might ask you know somebody else like uh you know maybe jalen ramsey and hey you want to go on skip and shannon absolutely they're gonna write the contract Hell, I'll, I'll co -ho he'll co-host it if you right, ask right, let's go. you know so I, I think it really just depends on you know, personalities and stuff like that. But like you see KD, like it, it does, you know, genuinely bother him, um, you know, when, when people kind of go after him and, and he is a great player. He's, you know, probably the best basketball player in the world right now. Um, you know, so for, for you to see somebody like him and even, even LeBron last year when they won the championship and he said, you know, I want my damn respect too. You know, you can tell that, you know, those things do, regardless of, you know, if, if half the people on the, on the earth think you're the best player of all time, you know, the other half think Michael Jordan is, you're, you're naturally wanting to convince that other half, you know, that, you know, I do belong in that conversation. So I think, you know, as you said, it is something that that's natural, but, you know, you're going to drive yourself crazy if you're trying to, you know, 
convince all the trolls otherwise in, in the world. So I think, you know, you might as well just embrace it. And, you know, if you can make some money while you're doing it, why not? And be yourself and be authentic. That's why I've heard a lot of people say, and they're not happy with what Cole Beasley said about the vaccine and the coronavirus. But I think in a way it's made him more, that's definitely made him, I think, more authentic and more genuine and more of a human being. And in some ways, it might have made him more of a name and more marketable. We'll see where it goes. But I think more people know who Cole Beasley is and what he's about and what he stands for than they did before he started tweeting about vaccines. Exactly. thousand percent. And there are some ways to do it, too. Uh, as since I said it, I can come up with a couple examples of guys who did thrive as, as a heel, even in a team sport. And I'm thinking, obviously, Dennis Rodman comes to mind. Um, you know, uh, Terrell Owens really embraced it. Uh, there, there, there are guys who do it, and, but they do sometimes pay a price for that also because right. the team decides at some point, well, we got to move on from you uh, or we just don't have it within our, um, within our big tent here to, hand, you know, you're too disruptive. But it, there comes with a greater risk in a team sport. Um, sure. oh, I just lost my microphone there. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're all right. This is a professional operation here, Polo. Uh, Tell us, if you will, what this has been like since. All right. Actually, let me stop. I'll ask it this way. So when Playmaker hires you to be the head of talent uh, and partnerships. um, The NCAA ruling has not, you know, the Supreme Court has not spoken on this issue. Was there any anticipation by Playmaker that this was coming or did you just get lucky here? And then all of a sudden you have uh, you have all these new places to go for uh for work where you right. have a lawful so, your plate just got a lot more full and, and you didn't right. you weren't you weren't anticipating it there was no anticipation I, I think it was even the day before uh before the first where you know I, i'm reaching out to you know a few different kids that you know we have relationships with and really seeing kind of you know what their thought process is and where they're standing on things and they're like you know well our state doesn't really have any nil we don't know you know if, if we're going to be able to do anything this was the day before you know it went it passed so even from our standpoint i, I think in the weeks leading up to it um we saw that there was um you know, especially here in Texas, there, you know, we knew that that was going to be good. Um, and then I think there were maybe four or five other states. And that's really where we were looking at those big schools in those areas, um, you know, that, that were good and, and who the top players on those teams were. And that's who, you know, we figured that, you know, we would really just go after those guys. Um, and then once the first hit, it was like Pandora's box because what happened was, you know, now the kids that we had, you know, had some brief discussions with, now we're able to talk to their parents, we're able to kind of run things through compliance, we're able to sign contracts, announce things. And what we really didn't account for was that, you know, once we sign one kid and that kid announces their partnership with Playmaker, all of his teammates are going to be like, oh, you know, what's this or what are you doing with them? Um, You know, and, and other players that he follows. So, you know, now we're getting, you know, literally thousands of emails from, you know, people in, in the NCAA and, um, you know, then it became really difficult for us to continue to add the people that we were adding because now every time somebody makes an announcement, there's an influx of emails and DMs and things like that. Um, and then for us as well, we did our research on the guys we were going after. We don't know, you know, 
most of these kids that are that are DMing us. There's maybe there's D, you know, there could be a D three rower, you know, from Idaho that I, I don't know anything about that, you know, as far as what I can really do to help you. So that's the other thing is really for us to be able to, you know, provide a service. I'm not signing a hundred kids just to be able to brag and say, you know, Playmaker has a hundred kids under management for NIL. You know, we want everybody to feel um, that they're getting the same amount of attention, same amount of service for us, no matter if they're, you know, top of the line, bottom of the line. And it was like that even before. If you're, a, you know, an all-pro guy or a practice squad, bubble roster guy, we want you to at least feel like you're getting the same amount of attention. You're not going to get the same opportunities. At least you're getting the same amount of attention and we're doing everything we can, at least on our part, to, you know, make you happy with, with what you're doing. And we want to do that same thing with, with a lot of these collegiate kids um, where, you know, if I am bringing you on, we want to be able to make sure, you know, one, that we can um, – you know, focus on branding partnerships that make sense for you and your brand and, you know, actually giving companies uh, that you like. If you don't like McDonald's, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, promote a new McChicken sandwich. It doesn't make sense. So, you know, for us, it's just really trying to figure out every kid um, and then making sure we can, you know, generate money for them, you know, come out with merchandise for them and really figure out what's important. And, And now because they are so young, it's a lot different than, you know, just going to, and Xavier and Howard kind of giving him our pitch. And then he says, yes or no, you know, we have layers that we have to go through with all these kids where, you know, you got to talk to the kid, you got to talk to mom, then, you know, maybe dad is separate, you know, then maybe uh, the family lawyer and then, you know, the, the coaches at the school compliance and things like that. You know, yeah. So, so exactly. So now, you know, there, there's just so many more layers. Um, And then we're getting to a point too, where, you know, we had a kid that we were talking to, um, who's going into his freshman year, but he's going to be a quarterback, supposed to start. There's a lot of pressure. So he's at the point where it's like, okay, I know I want to make money, but I know I'm a freshman. I'm going to have to balance college and being, you know, a, a, a starter, a starting quarterback at a big school, um, you know, so what can I do to still do that, but not really, you know, you guys give me things that are are high lift and, you know, I can step back a little bit and focus. So the asks from a lot of these kids have been different, Um, you know, so it's really just trying to figure that out. And, you know, like I said, just making sure we can, we can service everybody, you know, even, even with the, uh, you know, the kids that were going through all these emails and things, we've added a a few kids like that, that have just reached out. That's how we got um, Kevin Marks. You know, he reached out to us after, uh, an announcement that that he saw that wasn't somebody that I was um, targeting initially, um, but you know I'm very glad that we have him. He's a he's a top running back, you know, in the country, especially outside the Power Five. Um, so we're definitely excited about him. And that was something that you know when you go into the research, dig a little bit deeper. I know him from Buffalo, you know, so to be able to um, kind of go out there and get things done for him will be a little bit easier um, compared to you know somebody that might not have a big of a following, might not be as big of a school. And I don't know, you know, just companies in those areas, if I can't do too much for you, then, you know, we'll just let you know. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, you can, you can find some, you know, some representation elsewhere. How do you gauge and what is the marketing potential for some of these college athletes, even high school athletes? Because as you mentioned, it's a broad spectrum of multiple sports, multiple colleges, multiple leagues, multiple media markets, men, women, high school, college. Like what's your pitch yeah. to the different athletes in all different situations? Right. So I think, I think the main thing for us first is to look at how good they are, um, you know, in their sport. Um, I don't really care too much about the social media following because we can grow that. Um, you know, we can really 
create content for you, create stories for you, really push you out there. Um, you know, if there's, um, you know, just something unique about you that we can really tap into. There's a kid who's actually really good. He's a top 50 player in the country um, at UNC football. His name's Storm Duck. Um, and I was like super excited for us to sign him just because his name is Storm Duck, you right. know? So just from, just from the, the marketing opportunities and, you know, the things that we could really do to, you know, push him just from his name, um, you know. Like a Kentucky it, Derby horse. Right, exactly. There's, there's endless potential. So we have like some cool like Storm Duck merch that's coming out. It's like, uh, you know, the, the Chapel Hill building and then there's, there's lightning all over it. And then there's a puddle with uh, rubber duckies floating in the puddle. And it says there, you know, there's a storm coming to Chapel Hill. But, you know, even, even kind of things like that is, is just really trying to figure out ways to be creative. Um, you know, so, and we do that when, when we're looking at, at every single person that, you know, we're kind of talking to is, um, the first thing we do is we send them a, a form that they can fill out and they can tell us, you know, these are the kind of things I'm looking for. These are the kind of things I'm not looking for, um, you know, and really kind of learn their interests from there. And, and then that way we can almost curate it for, for each particular person. Um, we've also been really focusing on uh, like areas that we're familiar with, um, you know, so I'm in, I'm in Houston, so I've been focusing on a lot of Texas uh, schools the the company playmaker is in is in florida um and you know a couple of the guys that are under the talent side are in, you know north carolina things like that so you know now we'll look at those carolina area schools we added the quarter, uh, quarterback from from coastal carolina you know which isn't too far so uh, a lot of it too comes down to you know what markets we have relationships in and um you know how big the school is how big the player is and just going from that I'm curious uh, about this aspect of Apollo because here we are recording this on July 9th. Uh, this is so new for everybody, for you, for the athletes themselves, for the schools, for their compliance, for their athletic department, for their marketing department to make sure, uh, let's say you have an athlete who wants to, we'll just do a, you know, the obvious one, you mentioned McDonald's. He's a big McDonald's guy. He wants to sign a thing with McDonald's, but the school's official sponsor is Burger King. Right. Uh, you know, whatever. As you're going through these deals, what is popping up as a common snag or that you find has been like frustrating in terms of communicating these deals or getting these deals done as everybody's trying to feel around in the dark, um, trying to interpret their version of the, the rule or the law uh, because they haven't been gone to court yet or they haven't gone through a whole you know, clean process a lot of people are just guessing and hope it works out. I think the, the frustrating thing is just the inconsistency from school to school. Um, it's not like, you know, the NFL or the NBA that just has a union and everything is the same all across the board. And, you know, that it is what it is. Um, so the compliance really comes down to what the school has set in place. And there's a lot of these companies that you're seeing. Open Doors is a great example that you know they're a company that specifically focuses on bridging uh, athletes and brands together um, and then they take a percentage of whatever the deal is so let's say we'll go back to mcdonald's um, so let's say mcdonald's is is looking to promote a, a crispy chicken sandwich and maybe it's in the north carolina area so now that will go to you know kids that are at duke that are at unc you know, and, and whatever other big schools are over there in that area. And then those kids can apply for that brand deal. Um, and then McDonald's can go through and choose and then say, okay, this is the 
kid that we want to work with. So there's a lot of those companies that have been popping up, um, but each school is using a different company. So some schools are actually using these companies like Open Doors as their compliance where, you know, okay, cool. We know that you guys are, are fine. So you guys can be our official compliance. There's another company called uh, Influencer, which, you know, some schools are using that. You'd some be involved might- with that. Exactly. Some schools might have, you know, just hired, uh, uh, you know, a compliance officer that they're looking through it. Some schools might not have anything in place yet. So I think that's the most frustrating thing now is, you know, as we're doing uh, and really prepping and starting a lot of these deals for these kids is, you know, we can go through the, the ringer with one kid and it's like, okay, cool. So now we know this next kid, once we lock that in, we'll have to do the same thing, but it, it could be a completely different process. Um, and then the next kid can be a completely different process. Even the, the contracts um, that we've sent out, some schools have said, yeah, it's perfect. Go we'll sign it. You're good. Some schools have said, nope, we got to change this, 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 this. So then we change those things and then we have them sign it and then keep that one. And then it's like, no, nope, we want to go back to, you know, the, so it's really just the inconsistency, I think, um, you know, for, you know, the kids from, from, each school is really the, the toughest part so far. Um, so hopefully that gets straightened out. And, and then I, I think other than that, we should be fine. Cause a lot of the rules are just the same rules as, as the NFL has like, you know, no, no gambling, no drinking, no CBD, no, you know, um, no, no likenesses of, of the schools. And that, that's weird though too, Tim is cause some schools now are letting the kids use their likeness because they feel it's just free promotion for that university. So you know, again, it's just inconsistent. It I know the schools some... are figuring it out on the fly, especially because right. this affects Division Two, Division Three, junior college, NAIA, any, anything collegiately, right. and not all of them have big staffs and big budgets to hire a, a company to do it for them. And I know like the influencer basketball game I went to last night, there was red tape that different players had to go through in order to play in that game and not jeopardize their eligibility. And a lot of these players, athletes, coaches, schools, don't really know what the rules are yet. Right, right, thousand percent. I think that it can become a recruiting tool also if you're uh, able to just say, and I think some schools have kind of done it, not enough for me to quote it, but I think I've seen it on social media, Polo, maybe you know one, where it's kind of been let known, come on over here and you can do whatever the hell you want pretty much, you know, and I, I don't, but in its bigger schools can, or can right. do this and well, any of them can do it really, but if you're UB, and you say, yeah, you can, well, this actually helps you be, especially in a place, uh, it's one of the few universities that's in a major metropolitan area in the Mid-American Conference. That could be the thing that gets you to choose, you know what, I don't want to go to Ball State, or I don't want to go to Bowling Green. I'm going to UB because it's in a city with businesses, and, and that's another thing that UB now has to watch, the local car dealer, which they always had to do anyway, right, the booster, um, but these deals, if they're on paper and they're filed, then yep. then it's all set. But anyways, there's all kinds of weirdness going on. Um, what about high school kids? And I know you've mentioned it um, in our discussion here. The, the phrase has come up about high school. What's the philosophy? Uh, because you can get them that early now. Of course, there's more risk. Uh, you know, we've, we've all seen the, the story of the high school phenom who never makes it to the pros. Um, you know, imagine what Paul Harris's situation would have been. Right. Right. Um, right. and then he never made it, uh, but the he would have changed made... on Paul. Paul would have been in the NBA without going to college, but the year he graduated was the first year they had brought that age limit back. 
Right. But there are. Yeah. So, yeah. How, I guess your what are your thoughts on on high school and, and approaching them that young? I'll be honest. I've been I've been approaching high school kids for years. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> Jonathan Kaminga, right? <laughs> One of your guys. Who? Where'd you work with? Or maybe still are Jonathan Kaminga, top five or six. Yeah, yeah, like that, that's a perfect example. Like I've, I've had a great relationship with with JK, and he was in his junior year and, and reclassified. Um, so I mean, as far as like what we can do, you know, of course it, it, it's still limiting. But you know, as far as like smaller brand deals and you know things like that I've been giving them to high school kids just as long as they don't get paid to play basketball has been always been my understanding because there's no NCAA so it, you know as long as um they're not getting paid to play basketball then you're not really ruining their NCAA eligibility but as far as doing brand deals and things like that you know great um my philosophy Tim is I never give kids uh like upfront guarantees um, regardless of if it's NFL, NBA, you know, high school, I feel like we're going to be able to do enough for you that you don't really need that. And I also think, you know, it really puts the kids in a, a, a bad position because what you have is you have an agent that, you know, let, let's take Jonah, for example, and let's say he's, he's a first round, you know, he's a first round lock and Tim, right. you're, you're the agent, you know, and, and you as a business owner can really just go to the bank, you know, with maybe a, a 2% interest rate and take out a million dollars as under Jonah's future earnings potential. And that's something that Jonah might not necessarily be able to do, but now you go to Jonah and you say, Hey, you know, you're, you're going to sign with me. Uh, I'll give you a million dollars up front, um, you know, and use it how you want to. And then you just pay us back on that marketing back end, you know, with a, a 10% interest. And so for you now you're, you're making an extra 8%, but that hurts Jonah really as a player because especially if Jonah's that big where, you know, you're going to give him that million dollars, you'll probably be able to call Nike the day after he signs and get him a multi-million dollar deal. So now Jonah lost 8% of a million dollars for, you know, one day cash advance. Um, you know, so I think that that's really um, what hurts a lot of, a lot of the players is, you know, people see that upfront money, um, especially on the marketing side and they get really excited about it. And you're either going to, have a company that doesn't do too well on the marketing and you're just in a hole for forever trying to work your way out of that. Um, you know, or you're just gonna lose too much money too quickly for no reason, because, you know, you would have, you would have made it back uh, that, that quick anyway. So on the high school side, you know, I have no problem approaching them um, because, you know, whether they're, you know, MBA talent, college talent, things like that, all the money that I'm bringing to them is, is money that they, that they earn right now. Um, you know, so I think that regardless of if they make it or not, you know, if, if they're only going to be a high school phenomenon and we can help them to capitalize off that, why not? How do you think this will affect college sports as the product that we all see on TV and our fans of almost as a minor league? Because I see on one hand, there's NBA player, basketball players coming out of the NBA draft and saying, um, you know, if I can make a few dollars in college building my brand, I can wait on going professional. But on the other hand, you got the overtime league and guys going to play in the G league, skipping college all together to make money. Will it help or hurt what we know of as college sports? I actually think it'll help uh, college sports because you're, you're starting to see like LaMelo ball go to Australia. The, the NBL over there offers for those top kids a million dollars. Um, you have like overtime right now. They, they gave a kid $2 million this morning. Um, 16 year old. Yeah, 16 year old. They gave him two million dollars. Um, the G League is, I think, a five hundred thousand dollar minimum for the for the G League select kids. Um, you know, so 
uh, on the college side, you you might not have a guaranteed payment, but, you know, at least, you know, you have some money that's, that's coming in and and is able to be generated. Um, I just had a kid, uh, Kendrick Davis from SMU who withdrew from the draft and is going back to SMU. We signed him on the marketing, but, you know, it's just a little bit more of a comfortable feeling where, you know, at least I know now I might've been a bubble second round guy. Maybe I have to deal with a couple, you know, two-way contracts, G league contracts and money that's not guaranteed where, you know, I can just go back to college, have another year like I had this year, go in the first round and still make money while I'm in college this year. I think it just creates a little bit more, like you said, security and, and making kids want to stay. I think if it would have stayed the other way, then you would have had those overtimes, those G leagues, the overseas and things just continue to take more and more players from college and, you know, just continue to see that one and done kind of situation. Um, so hopefully this will help it and, and make kids, you know, just want to stay a few more, a few more years and, and um, you know, a lot of guys are bigger, you know, in college than they were in the NBA. Um, Mario Chalmers is a guy that we work with who won two championships with the Heat, but he won a national championship at Kansas. So we'll always get more marketing opportunities for him in Kansas than we will uh, in Miami. And so, you know, if you can take advantage of that and you're just a collegiate legend, maybe you want to stay. I've always thought that the end game, or maybe not the full end game, but the thing, the, the, All right, this, I think, gets it a little closer to where I've always predicted it will or at least should go. And I used to talk to Jerry Sullivan about this on his radio show, on my radio show. Jonah's heard me say this spiel before. I'm sure it comes up every year or so. I make a mention of it. Right. Sooner or later, a group of schools are going to get together and say, we're going pro. And they are just going to recruit kids and pay them and pay them to play football, not through scholarships. They're going to get cash and they're going to say, what do we need the NCAA for anymore? We're going to put any, and I can see it going one of two ways with this Supreme court ruling. I can see now the biggest schools doing this, Alabama can, you know, Kentucky basketball, whatever. Um, Prior to this, I saw it as maybe the mid schools that always seem to get left out of a conference when there's a re restructuring, when this, when the different conferences start to morph and SMU gets left out or whatever. And then finally, one of those schools saying, you know what the hell with this, let's just go and let's put our league. We're going to have our own TV deal. Um, So what if we don't have um, a a women's rowing team anymore? Cause we're not, we're going to just leave the NCAA. We don't need to worry about compliance. We're not, we're just going to get paid, you know, whatever. Etc. But I think I think you're I, I would say you're wrong. I would go the other side on that because of what's happening now, because no rules have changed yet that allow the schools to actually pay the athletes and they don't want to pay the athletes. So what this NIL. No, but NIL I think does, this is eroding of the the concept of amateurism. Like maybe, it's eroding. It maybe, is eroding but, to the point that the whole the whole highfalutin idea of, you know, amateur pristine you know, this fantasy that everybody has of thinking back to Jesse Owens at the 36 Olympics, you know, that just doesn't exist anymore. The, the, right, the principle right. of sport for sport. Um, and so I, I could say it won't happen because the players now, now they can get all this money from Nike and other businesses. The NCAA and the colleges can continue to hoard all of the television money and the money they make off the NCAA. But it's going to get lopsided. They don't want to split it with anybody. It's still going to get lopsided. You're still going to have some schools that can give you all of this. But they can't. Um, they legally can't now, and they don't want to give them. No, I'm, well, I'm not talking. In their own pocket. All right. So 
to get from where we are now to what I was saying, right. It's going to, there's going to need to be some, some things are going to have to happen. More dominoes are going to have to fall. And those things I think won't fall. I think this becomes the replacement. This allows, well, what I'm saying is the same economic rights that you and I and any other college student have, but it's still, but the hierarchy of schools, you're still going to have schools that are left out because they don't have, you know, and there's two, like, so Alabama can say, fine, we're done with all this other stuff. Um, All right. I'm just using Alabama's example. Number one football team, you know, everybody knows it. Um, Or Clemson, let's say Clemson, whatever. Um, It gets to a point where they're tired of losing a recruit because they are the big powerhouse. And then fine. Well, all right. All right, I, I've, I've muddled. We have a guest here. What, what are your thoughts on the? Let me let's bring you in on this polo because I, I think Jonah raises a good point. I'm having a little trouble articulating uh, the aspect of the erosion of it. I think the floodgates at some point. I think well, I, I think a lot of people think it's going to go in that direction. That's why I'm kind of pushing back on you because I think that's a common perception. But I I would say it's it's not going to play out that way. Polo, your thoughts? I, Jonah, I'm sorry. I agree with Tim. Well, hey, do y'all got to apologize to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you be, because because I do feel like, and, and you're already starting to see this, is some schools just have more of an advantage. That kid from Oregon got millions or a six figure deal from Nike for some NFTs. That's just they're in Oregon, like yeah. Well, you know, that's just things right. that Oregon can can offer that other schools can't. There was another school that gave everybody on the football team cars. Like not every school yeah. can can do that. So now, like Tim's said uh, and it's not to say that it's going to happen you know this year next year 10 years it could happen 20 years from now but really if you're a team like a Clemson and you're just relying on the fact that you know we win football games we have Dabo Sweeney you know you're, you're going to go to the national championship Clemson's also in the middle of nowhere so you might now have a Clemson starting to lose kids to USC because they're in Los Angeles like Tim said even even the same with Buffalo versus Bowling Green. So now you might have USC that just becomes this dominant football powerhouse again because they're in Los Angeles. They have a, a crazy amount of, of branding partnerships, crazy amount of things that you can do in that in that city. So now you might have it where all these kids are going to USC because, you know, I know I can build a huge brand for myself. And now USC just becomes this dominant powerhouse and Clemson just falls and falls and falls over the years. And then to Tim's point, you separate yourself from the NCAA and you do it with a couple of other bigger schools and you create your own program where, you know, now you're, you're just like a, you know, a sub league or a a farm league almost, you know, to some of these bigger, bigger teams. So it, and I know that, you know, that it's not something that's going to happen right away. And even to your point of this is almost in replace of that. I get that as well, but I also think that, you know, it's really going to take years to kind of see how this all does pan out, you know, maybe these bigger, the schools in the bigger cities start to, you know, overpower, you know, some of the schools in the other areas. Cause that's been my recruiting pitch as well. Like there's a kid at, at Michigan that, that, you know, we're, we're looking at and my recruiting pitch for him is like, we have a really good relationship there with, uh, you know, a few local businesses. And I know that we can get you guys brand deals, um, you know, and make money right away. So if that's me doing that, you know, when, when it starts to come from, you know, the universities and these bigger and bigger deals like Oregon is able to right. get with Nike, then I think over time, 
and that almost gives them an unfair advantage. And it really just comes down to what schools have the best relationships with the, with the biggest companies. I think that's true. It depends how finely you cut it. Because, yeah, Oregon can have Nike just pay these players. I mean, they're probably doing that under the table they, already. Literally, yeah, Oregon can literally go to Nike and say, hey, we need X amount of budget for, you know, not, not just our football team, for our football team, our basketball team, our women's rowing team for forever. You know, and Nike has enough money to be able to do those things. And they can just say, you know what, we'll just give all these players deals and we won't give any other schools deals. And now you have an unfair advantage with, with Oregon and, you know, their university and Nike. And now everybody wants, people already wanted to go to Oregon because the shoes that you get, you get a new jersey every game just from the look of that without getting paid. So now if you add- A new helmet games, every game. I mean, like I, the most yeah. expensive stuff, they don't care. They'll, they'll just burn money. Because now once you graduate, now you just sell all that stuff. So now if you're able to sell that stuff while you're playing, get a new jersey every single game, new shoes, and then get a Nike deal and get paid by Nike, that's something where you'll start to see over the years kids are going to sign in Oregon just because of that. So now when you start to get those schools, it, like, like I said, it's not going to be something that it'll happen next year, you know, the, the year after. But, you know, 15, 20 years from now, can I see that happening? Absolutely. Especially guys who are already playing for a Nike EYBL team and they're already in exactly. the Nike pipeline. But I do think that it, it's not anytime soon, I, I would predict, going to get to a point where the colleges or the conferences are paying salaries. Because I think that breaks the whole racket that the NCAA and these big conferences and big colleges have created. And that will, I think, put them a lot of them out of business. I, I think this is the best thing that could have happened in a way for the colleges, because now they don't have to share any of the money they're bringing in from television deals and they have to compete a little bit, but they don't have to share any of their money and they get off the hook for not having to pay the players. They say, you go make your own money from these other companies, which any other student could have done in any other way. So it was really wrong that they ever didn't allow athletes to go get part-time jobs and make money their own way. But now that they're allowing that, they don't have to, they wash their hands of having to pay these employees for what they're providing for the university. thousand percent. Uh, Polo, before we let you go, we've been going on a while here. I appreciate you uh, giving us your time. Um, this has been fascinating stuff. Um, what about uh, just a couple of specific areas? Cause I think it, um, people have interest in these specific areas. So uh, they, it's one thing to see, um, Kevin Marks doing a West Her Ford commercial, you know, or whatever. But you also have these things now with the name image likeness of video games that used to be a thing. Obviously, it's where the whole case started with, um, I'm drawing a blank, you, Ed, o, Ed O'Bannon uh, filed the suit. That's really was the first kind of domino on all this because his, his image and likeness was being used in a video game. They had to discontinue all those video games. We could see those come back. Um, Memorabilia is another thing, too, because uh, sports cards or even jersey sales, something that in the team shop. Um, right. Where, where do you see – how do you see this, this evolution going with the, those aspects of, of marketing? Right. Um, I know on my side I've been doing a lot of uh, talking with Upper Deck, um, you know, and, and kind of what we can and can't do. I think Upper Deck is already in a benefit because they don't have any NBA licensing, but they do make cards for NBA players just without the, the licensing on them. So they already have that clientele um, and they have a lot of players on exclusive. They have LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Serena Williams and, you know, huge players on exclusive uh, deals still to this day uh, with Upper Deck. So Tiger Woods, I think. 
Tiger Woods. They have I think, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, a thousand, and all, a, pretty much all of the iconic individuals, a lot of right. the icon, they have a tendency to get those guys right. and they don't, like you say, I think their only license that they have is with the NHL, which has yeah, to be such a small piece of the market. NHL and like Marvel or something like that, yeah. you know, so, but, but they still do produce these, these cards just, you know, without the likenesses. So I think with them, at least their, their core customer base understands, okay, cool. You know, we'll, we'll be able to get this guy's Jersey or, you know, this guy's uh, card without the logos on it. Um, and so in doing that, I think they're ahead of a lot of the curve with being able to create trading cards compared to, you know, everybody knows about Panini for, you know, the NBA and the NFL. I think if they got to a point where, you know, now they're trying to sell cards with no logos on it, I don't know if it, if it correlates the same because their customer base isn't really used to that. Um, so, you know, that, that's a discussion I've been having with Upper Deck a lot. Um, I've definitely been doing everything on my side to kind of push more on the memorabilia side, the private autograph signings and, and things of that sort. Um, you know, and I, I think, again, you know, you look at a team like Oregon, even with a player being able to sell, um, you know, some of their, some of their stuff now while they're in school, um, you know, there's a lot of schools that people go after that stuff for. Everybody wants stuff from UNC. Everybody wants stuff from Duke. Everybody wants stuff from, from Oregon. Now, if you're able to sell that, you know, there, there's a lot of money that can, that can go in your pocket, um, you know, for, from that as well. So we'll definitely be taking full advantage of that. Well, Polo, this has been enlightening. I've really enjoyed it. Is there, uh, I don't want to cut off Jonah, though, if he had any more questions. Uh, anything else we want to get into here that we missed out on? Nothing real specific, no. Um, I think this is something that we'll probably need to revisit in a few months, you know, because it's going to change. We're going to learn a lot about this probably pretty quickly. You know, it's going to, you know, we got a college football season that's about to start. Uh, you're going to be, I mean, you're already in it, I'm sure. Basketball, I mean, with everything as it starts rolling, it's going to, it's a free-for-all right now. It is. I'm sorry, Joni, you were saying? Well, I got something. You got a minute, Paul? How, you got a couple minutes? Yeah, I got all the time. In the all right, okay. So I want to ask you about something, and if you don't really want to talk about it, we cut it off, we won't even be part of it. But <laughs> okay. I want to ask you, all right, so you're kind of a behind-the-scenes guy in this space a little bit, um, or sometimes. But I want to ask you, do you have any experience with viral fame on the internet at points in your life? Viral fame? Yeah. As far as myself personally or just with like influencers and things of that? Yourself personally. Maybe you know where I'm going with this. No, I don't. All right. So if I look for you on Twitter, now you got a Twitter now, but when I used to look for you on Twitter for the show, all I find is these tweets from these thirsty girls that got this picture from you when you're like a teenager. They're like, I used to be in love with Polo Kerber, pinning them up on my wall. I want to ask you what the heck, and I feel like that's why you weren't on Twitter for a while. Maybe you had to get away. Right. I think it was when I was younger, there was this company, uh, Karma Loop, it was called. It was like they sold clothes and I used to model for them. Um, so I think that's where like really like a lot of it came from. And I was younger. I was like, how did we not know this? You were like a teen heartthrob, I guess. I only see in this after the fact, but I was maybe, I was maybe like 18, 19. And, um, you know, even now, like a lot of, there are a lot of stories and stuff like that now that, you know, kind of push a lot of that stuff down, you know, farther in the Google searches, thankfully. Um, <laughs> when, when, I, when I was younger, man, it was, it was ridiculous, but I mean, it is what it is. That's what I thought. I almost thought you had to like kind of hide from that. Like, you, no, but, you know, the only, the only thing that does upset me about it is because when I was younger like that, 
if you were able to almost like make a name and monetize yourself off of being a social media influencer, like you can nowadays, right. I, would, yeah. I, I, would, I would have been rich for years. Ahead you know? of your time, right. Right, definitely ahead of my time. But there, it's not like there was, you know, companies that just had, you know, social media brand managers and things like that. And you could go to companies and work for companies and things like that. Um, I think originally, like when I had first uh, made like a Twitter and even like my first Instagram, I had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers, but I, I just like erased all that stuff just to kind of, you know, push it down and I didn't, you know, for me, I, I was almost getting, uh, you know, like obsessed in, in social media, um, but without necessarily making anything of it, because at that time you couldn't really do anything. So it was, you know, yeah, you're getting this attention and things like that, but for what, you know, so it, it wasn't like I had that and, and I was making money off of it. And it would like consume me where I would literally spend more time. It's like, uh, like, any player one and it's like you're spending more time in like this virtual world that doesn't exist compared to you know your real life so even now like on my instagram like i only you know use it really more for like a work portfolio almost when we're like you know talking to kids and uh trying to recruit new athletes but as far as myself I, other than that i stay off social media even the twitter i have i just made it and it has like 50 followers or something like that but i just made that just because playmaker wanted to be able to like have me tweet a couple of things and then we put in like graphics. Um, yeah. But I, I stay off as much social media personally now as, as I can outside of Instagram. It's funny because there's, there's a subgenre. There's whatever happened years ago on Karma Loop, whatever that blew up. Right. And then you'll see five, six, seven years later, there's girls or women posting. I, I'm embarrassed how obsessed I used to be with Polo Kerber. Right. And like, <laughs> it was like my first crush years and years ago. So. I had no idea or else uh, if I did have an idea, it clearly would have been part of the show a lot it earlier. It would have been part of your the, Buffalo news story. Or years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, wouldn't just be. <laughs> All right. Polo Kerber. Yes, sir. Head of talent and partnerships for Playmaker. This has been a lot of fun. Number one, a uh, longtime friend of the show. It's great to have you back on. But this was one of those interviews where. I don't know the answers as I'm asking the question. Now, like we had um, Dwight Gooden on earlier this week, and I know so much about Dwight Gooden that I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm drawing things out of him for the audience's sake. Right. Uh, with this, I'm asking a question and I have no idea what you're going to say, which is because that's where we are right now with, with, uh, with this frontier, as I keep calling it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, I would definitely love to sit back down with you guys maybe a few weeks after the college season started. I know that's probably when we'll push out most of – um, you know, most of our brand deals and, and really start to, you know, see exactly, you know, what it's like and what a kid can, uh, can do with their name, image and likeness. Can they balance being able to profit off the field while, you know, managing uh, their football schedule and their school schedule? I, I think there's a lot, um, you know, that we won't have the answers to right now. Um, we might not have the answers to when we get back on the, uh, on, a, uh, on another podcast, but maybe we'll have some more clarity and at least kind of see, um, you know, how it's going. And I can share, you know, my experience of if I think, you know, it, it was uh, for the best of, of the kids. I, I think uh, Jonah, um, you know, when we're looking at some of those other things, like going to the NBL, going to, uh, you know, the overtime league and things like that, those kids don't have to do school right away. So you can always look back at it. So I know this is a lot, you know, especially, you know, just thinking back um, on my life, being you know 16 17 years old and you know barely even 
managing high school and high school football and high school uh, classes enough. So to, to send a kid to college and have, you know, the weight of the world on them and the pressure of, you know, national televised games every single week and ask them to do brand brand partnerships and, you know, sell merchandise and appearances and sign autographs. I'm sure it'll be a lot for a lot of kids. So I'm definitely excited to, you know, just get back on the phone with, with you guys and um, kind of see where we're at. And not to drag this, uh, this close out, but uh, just it pops into my head as, as we're talking about what we don't know. This, this ruling is so fresh. We really haven't heard from the influence makers from the authority set. We haven't really heard Nick Saban talk, you know, give us his take on this in a philosophical way or Dabo Sweeney or, you know, you know, it's Rick Pitino or whoever, who? Mike Krzyzewski. Coach. Yeah, right. We, we haven't heard from Hell. these guys yet. And they will, the, the, it's going to be an ebb and a flow in terms of public perception on this. When they hear from the people that they love and trust, when Jim Beheim goes on a, 10 minute rant on it, um, you know, during the preseason or whatever. Yeah. The, the news cycle on this is going to change the fear that it's going to be, it's, it's going to be worth watching. Thing, again, not to drag the clothes on too much, but I, I think another thing that we'll see as the college uh, season on both sides start is, you know, we're really starting this in July, which is the beginning of a new business quarter, but it wasn't something that anybody was planned for. So now you have these companies that their budgets are already allotted for the next three months. So now by the time the collegiate season started, you'll have a lot of these businesses that have had time to understand the NIL, plan for it, and really set a budget aside. So I think, you know, in three months from now, when the college season starts, you'll see an influx of this. And that's when we'll really be able to see, um, you know, how people can, can manage it and, and, you know, the full potential of, of what's going to happen. And coming out of a pandemic season that changed a lot of dynamics in all levels of sports, the colleges right. with the transfer portals and different ways they couldn't, couldn't make money in the past year. I think a lot of things, there's a big reset going on in college athletics in a lot of ways. Right. Well, welcome to the Tim Graham show where the closing is a whole new podcast. He's <laughs> the next one. Right. An hour and 15 <laughs> minutes we were at it. That's We didn't have this much to talk about with Dwight Gooden. I mean, the guy's right. a borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, he's got a, he's had a hell of a life, and uh, it, for good and bad. And yet, we found more to talk about with Polo Kerber, and we have to cut it off. I'll take it. <laughs> Polo, Appreciate thanks it. for doing this. Thanks, Tim. Alrighty. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.